0: gentle listener and welcome to michael and ethan in a room with scotch it's a show where i'm ethan and (laughs) this is michael and we're in rooms with scotch
1: but also that's right but but if it's not this show then i'm not michael and you're not ethan and we're not in rooms that's
0: correct and that's a very good dimitri martin (laughs) joke um (laughs) about being people with conditional identities go if you don't get that reference go look it up um and i'm saying that to michael as much as to anyone uh anyway yeah hi michael how you doing
1: uh i am i am present in these conditions and doing well that's 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 very like it
0: was very generic but very like I am secretly part of the Fae court at the same time, which is pretty impressive. Um, so anyway, uh, this also to me for my end, for me being who, what, being what I'm doing feels very much like when I start a phone call and I realize that I'm like, not at all prepared to have this phone call. And I'm just like, hi, how's it going? <laughs> So So Han Solo on the Death Star. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) On this show, we don't talk about scotch, even though that's all we've talked about so far. Um, We do. (laughs) Have we said a word about scotch? I said scotch a bunch of times. I said we were in. You said okay.
1: Uh, Okay, I think you you said it one time.
0: (laughs) That's like more than I've said the word books that you keep interrupting and preventing me from saying. So, like, Good. it's Scotch 1, Book 0, only now it's, like, Scotch 4 and Book <laughs> 3, but Scotch is still leading, 5. Um, and we don't talk about <laughs> it. So, like, my point still stands. Uh, like Scotch. Like the oak trees? Um, there's a niche reference <laughs> for you. Uh, Very. Sorry, no, Michael, it's not a niche reference. Everyone will know that one. Um... Yes, I know. It's very famous. Uh, World-renowned. Yes. Um, no, we talk about books, but we're not going to talk about books right now. We are going to talk about Scotch. Because um, that's the first thing we do. Uh, this is this is also what it sounds like when in real time I try to reconstruct what the script of this show is in my head and I just have to kind of say it out loud. Um, so anyway, this week, or this time and also next time and a couple <laughs> times after that we are drinking a scotch that i'm going to say is called Auchindoun I have no idea if i pronounced got, that correctly I, I think you did it's got the pronunciation on the back Oh oh wow it, it's actually real close to what i said that's cool Yeah um yeah Yeah so this is Auchindoun a uh, 12 year old um, it does say on the back, under the pronunciation, it says, age 12 years, and then it says, we travel the world to find the finest wood. And now, I'm not gonna do any jokes about that, because this is a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> um, but it claims to be a you mellow... <laughs> Thank you. It claims to be a mellow single malt, matured in bourbon and sherry casks, um, and I'm gonna not read the rest of it because it might be giving away the flavor notes, and I... I'll be the judge do of what the flavor notes are, because I am That's the judge, right. jury, right. executioner, and host of this podcast, despite Michael's attempts to derail <laughs> me from all of those positions. That's right, I'm in a attempts? train. I'm in a train <laughs> where the engine is the judge, and then there's jury, executioner, <laughs> and then the host is the caboose. And we are on this track. Listen, usually we've drunk a lot more scotch before we get this punchy. Um, and with that said, that's the last that's... time I'll be making that joke for a while because I'm going to have my wife come in and read the rules because this is a very strict podcast with rules.
2: Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they booze. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three. Ethan must never say the phrase first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so, because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number 6. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number 7. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses.
0: And what happens if someone breaks the rules?
2: If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly.
0: Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. listener. Thanks, (laughs) wife. Alright, Michael is currently not losing um currently not by not viol- by not immediately violating one of the rules of the podcast right uh, right i'm always ready are we clinking shall we clink mhm i Sancha so michael now mm. we are talking about now. a book and not about mm-hmm. anything that has come before. Uh, because <laughs> no one hosting this podcast is going to lose immediately. Um, <laughs> but with the punchy state oh, good to know. clearly <laughs> in, Like it seems fairly likely that someone hosting this podcast might lose eventually. Um, mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about a book called Convenience Store Woman by an author... Mm-hmm. That, according to my copy, is named Sayaka Murata. mm mm-hmm. huh. uh, That's also what I have written down. Yeah. Uh, had you, Michael, ever heard of this author before I, um, you know, declared that we were going to both read her? No, not at all. Um... I had, which is how I was in a position to decide that we were both going to read her. Um Aha. So I uh uh I, I told the story when um we sort of announced uh uh at the end of our War and Peace episodes that we were going what what our next books were going to be. Um so I'll just reiterate it briefly. I was in Japan earlier in the year that we're recording this um which for future grad students listening is 2077 um and i think i i think my memory is that i encountered this novel in the one japanese bookstore that i went to that had an english language section um and it had a lot it had that that section had like a lot of stuff in it that you'd expect to find at a barnes and noble um between english language thriller authors and and some literature you know some classics and Dickens's and and whatnot um and it had a lot of haruki murakami because he seems to be a big deal Mm -hmm. like when you think of japanese authors as far as i can tell both outside of japan and inside of japan murakami does come up um Mm -hmm. which was an interesting thing to to experience um uh because it's just like sometimes when an author is from a certain country and they're a big deal in the rest of the world they're like not as big a deal in the country but my experience which is definitely filtered through an english speaking and reading and not japanese speaking and reading lens um my experience was that Uh, Murakami seemed to be just as big a deal in Japan as outside of Japan. Um, Cool. But my memory of this bookstore is that uh, Convenience Store Woman was like... Other than... Actually, you'll... uh, Other than uh, I Am A Cat, I believe I Am Hmm. A Cat, Murakami, and Convenience Store Woman were the only three japanese novels in english translation at this bookstore in japan and simply because i was familiar with the other two i picked up i picked this up and looked at it and just said uh to myself well i have to read this um Uh Uh and i chose not to buy it there because i had brought it will shock everyone to learn a lot of books with me uh, for a two-week trip abroad <laughs> that was going to include two 20 20-hour plane flights. Um, so I didn't get it then, I got it... yeah, whatever. Uh, so that's, that's how I was first made aware of this book. I have since sort of come to be aware that Murata... So again, you know, if you say contemporary Japanese fiction, like, the most common author a lot of people are going to know is Murakami. Um, Murata, from what I can tell... Kind of is more of a cult figure. Like, a lot of people are not aware of her, but like, the people who are aware of her tend to really, 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 really love her. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I know about her. Um, Michael, I want to start us off in a fairly dangerous spot for me. Um, really potentially dangerous. I just want to get your impression of, I'm going to say the first, I'm going to say the first five pages of this book, pages one through five. First, the first five pages. Yeah. I mean, Um, you know, whether, whatever parts of those pages you want to focus on is, is up to you, but like. Give us, give us the Michael and Ethan sort of scattershot approach if you want to, but just four pages, one through five.
1: Okay, that's fair. Um, so there, there's a, a couple of things that I took note of as it was going along. Um, from the, the first paragraph, um, uh, the, it, it was almost... And in general, these first five pages all together were almost too mundane. And I'm I'm trying to avoid giving too much weight to, like, opinions or anything here. But, like, it started off almost just soaking into this, the mundanity of this world. But also then there was something kind of almost lurking behind it. So um, I'll get more specific. <clears throat> In the first paragraph, uh, the first line is, a convenience store is a world of sound. Um, and I, I marked off the, the words, a world here because it struck me, you know, that I, I tried not to, to look too much into what the, uh, the plot would be um, beforehand, but so starting off, it seems like we've created a new world in the convenience store for this convenience store woman, that it's a world that she inhabits and somehow it's her world. What the, exactly that means, you know, is she satisfied, they're dissatisfied, don't know yet. Um, and as it goes on, this the, the mundanity of it is so overwhelming until you get to the last sentence of that line where it says it all blends into the convenience store sound that ceaselessly caresses my eardrums. And the choice of that word caresses um, was really striking because now it's, it's a comforting place. There's uh, a harmony here. There's um, uh, It's a homey sort of world that this convenience store is. And the sound is somehow representative of that, and what exactly that means might come up later. but um but then as as we go from there, so we we get the impression just from the first paragraph that this is her world, and she feels at home here from the first paragraph. And then, as it goes on, we start to see how much mastery she has of this world. Um, I think I used the uh, the, the words Sherlock Holmes in one of my margin notes in here based on how she's reading the customers uh, and noticing the way they act and what they do. And she's got this power, um, not exactly a power, but just an adaptation to the world that she knows what to expect and can uh, align herself with it. And so, uh, you know, she would avoid saying the word power, too, because she says there on page four. Uh, towards the bottom i am one of those cogs mm-hmm. going round and round i've become a functioning part of the world rotating in the time of day called m- morning so she's got this hyper awareness of who she is and where she is in this world uh, of the convenience store and she feels as though she fits perfectly um, um, in here so that's that's my overall impression of of that <laughs> sure uh if if you have more i definitely want to
0: hear it but when you say, like, Sherlock Holmes, are you talking about, um, for example, like, in the second paragraph, I hear the faint rattle of a new plastic bottle rolling into place as a customer takes one out of the refrigerator and look up instantly. A cold drink is often the last item customers take before coming to the checkout till. Um, and then mm-hmm. the narrator sees a, a woman holding a bottle of mineral water but still perusing the desserts, and the narrator looks back down. Is that, like, the kind of thing you're talking about where... Yes, she. She has the the narrator has. Uh, there 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 is a a sense of mastery when you have someone who's in an environment and knows from sounds they can automatically react physically without necessarily like seeing a situation to react to. Like they react before they see it.
1: Right. Um, I've... Right. I think I was tuning into the, the same sort of like deduction. That's yeah. going on where, like, Sherlock Holmes would draw a conclusion and um, might act on it, but would at least draw the conclusion. And she's drawing the conclusion and acting automatically. Right. Um, she she states it generally at the bottom of page three, uh, where she says, I automatically read the customer's minutest movements and gaze and my body acts reflexively in response. Right. Um, and that's, that's like yeah so like noticing these small minute details and drawing a conclusion from it is is what i mean by sherlock holmes there yeah
0: um that that makes perfect sense uh i guess i to that particular passage i kind of responded more viscerally i guess in the sense that like Mm -hmm. at this point i've been um i've probably worked in food service about half my working life and I've worked specifically in coffee shops for quite a while now. And um, when I, at this point, if I go into a coffee shop, like one that has like an espresso machine, you know, um, uh, specifically like that does that, you know, lattes and and those kinds of espresso drinks. Like I, if, if the espresso machine that they have is like similar enough to my, to the one where I have worked, I can usually predict exactly when my drink is going to come um, just based on Mm. the sounds that I hear. Usually it's steaming milk. Sometimes it's, it's um, hearing the the shots of espresso being pulled. Um, But like, if I'm, if, if the, if the equipment is like out Mm -hmm. of sight to me or if I'm sitting off around the corner or something like gauging based on how many people are standing waiting in front of me and like, what the sounds are I can usually predict pretty accurately to the point that like I can get up and be walking to the counter um before the barista like like calls my name you know (laughs) and I don't Mm -hmm. I, I you know uh I'd like to think I'm not cringeworthy enough to make a big deal out of it and I don't consider it a special power it's just like when there's an environment that is repeated and repeatable and has sort of limited information that it puts out, and you've been in that sort of environment for long enough, you just start to know certain things because mm-hmm. of that, and that's that's what I identified with um, uh,
1: as far as like the Sherlock Holmes stuff goes. Sure. Well, and there's I mean, with any any job like that, especially like you like you say the the repetitive sort of jobs, um, there there can be a certain pride in that, even if it feels like a dead end job to, to some, like like some of the characters in this book. Um, like it, it in attaining that level of mastery there can be a, a, a certain amount of, of pride in that and I certainly remember some of that from like working at Valley Fair. Um, in working the rides at the amusement park and, like, knowing when a ride would end and knowing exactly how long it would take and just not even needing to keep track, but I could keep track of time by how many rides had run or, like, sure. know when to, to say certain, certain spiels or move people around and things.
0: Yeah, and there's like, there's certainly a
1: dynamic... Having that basis. Sorry.
0: Um, That's okay. There There's certainly a dynamic to... uh pride in one's work and also what work one should take pride in that that uh runs throughout this book (laughs) i definitely want to get into that um i wanted to say one other thing uh specifically about the first five pages of this book um and even the even for me like the first couple couple three pages um so you know again i've mentioned Probably not as often as I've talked about being in Ireland, but I know I've mentioned on this show before, and even in this episode and last episode, that earlier this year, my wife and I got to travel to Japan. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I've always, I, you know, as, as long as I've been in contact or, or aware of it, I've always respected Japanese culture, writing, um, other artistic output, uh, and history. I definitely do not know and have not bonded sort of <laughs> psychologically or whatever as much with those things as with the Irish equivalents. Um mm. so uh and and my wife is is has much more, you know um she's a big fan of anime and and um uh mm-hmm. other other like even Japanese video games she tends to to really like um Japanese RPGs specifically, like Final Fantasy, uh and and mm-hmm. as well as other ones, the persona, franchise, and so forth. So like she has had a lot more in the way that you can have cultural experience sort of through media, she had a lot more uh experience of Japan before going there than I did. Um and also we were visiting one of her best friends from childhood there. Um so all of that sure. to say that like you know, she was set up to be much more sort of, well, I was not not into the Japan trip. She was set up to be much more into it than I was. Um. But one of the things that I think both of us did not expect to, uh, having gotten back from the trip, I'll put it this way, having gotten back from the trip one of the things that I think both of us did not expect to miss as much as we did and to miss in the exact, like both of us in the exact same way was Japanese convenience stores. Um, hmm. So uh seven eleven is a big chain in Japan. And um, there are a couple other convenience stores that are, that are sort of present there in a big way, but like Seven Eleven is kind of the one that's, you know, the, the, if you, if you go over there and you look like, um, the colors are the same. The, the, the branding stuff is, is pretty much Hmm. the same. Um, and, uh, it's, it's also hard to explain because it's like everything that I could say about Japanese convenience stores is also true about American convenience stores, but the Japanese ones are like the ideal best most wonderful version of that so uh what i mean by that is like japanese convenience stores always were like fully stocked with hot and cold drinks fully stocked with like mm-hmm. really delicious like both like snacks and things like you know convenience store meal type things like things you could eat as a um as a meal uh, or or you know cobble together a few things to eat as a meal. Um, mm. they had, like, they had bakery in the same way that American convenience stores do, but it was, like, so much stuff that was, like, clearly freshly baked. Like, as someone who has also worked in a bakery for mm. a long time, like, I can just tell, you know, how fresh something is. And even the, the stuff in a Japanese convenience store that was, like, you know, wrapped and, like, clearly had come on a truck, It whatever supply lines they had running were clearly just, like, much shorter and kept things much fresher than, like, most American convenience stores do. Um Again, it was, like, everything you could get in an American convenience store was so much nicer and, like, fresher and just better quality than you get in most American convenience stores. Um And it was just, like... and And also everything was cheap. Like, the prices on these better products were also better. Like, they were cheaper... Mm-hmm. For a better product, like, um, the first...
1: That's not fair. I know,
0: it's, it's deeply unfair. <laughs> um, the first, like, full day that we were in Japan, like, you know, we'd gotten off the plane and, and gotten to, like, slept over, whatever. Um, And the first full day after that, we just hung out with Karen's friend in her apartment for sort of various reasons. Um, And... We were, like we were kind of waiting for some things to be delivered. Like we didn't want to do much of anything. And Karen and I had just gotten off of a like twenty-four hours of travel, so like we were just kind of fine, just kind of hanging out. And anyway, so it was like we wanted we we were it was lunchtime. People were hungry. We wanted to get um a uh, food sort of nearby, and you know, like one person was staying at the at the apartment, and some. rest of us were going to go out and get food um and so my wife's friend just who had lived in japan for for several years at that point knew you know kind of was our our guide to things and you know spoke japanese and stuff was very helpful um she suggested she was like well there's a convenience store that's like you know half a mile away we could just go there and have convenience store lunch and so my reaction and and i think my wife's reaction was just like well sure like you know it's not the culinary experience that you 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 know want to want to go to a foreign country and have but like for the situation that's just fine and then we got to this japanese convenience store and it was like everything <laughs> was so good, looked so good and and ultimately was so good and was so interesting and of course different flavors of of things like stuff that you know you wouldn't expect to find in in america and it was just like everything about it was so good and then when we got it back to the apartment and we're eating it it was so delicious that we were like what is this that we've discovered um and so (laughs) i think i'm pretty sure that every single morning of our trip if, if if almost if not every single morning we went to a convenience store to at least get me coffee and karen usually got a roll or something and like also, every day of the trip, we usually went back one or more times to a to a convenience store, mm. um, because they were that convenient and the products were that good. Um, and then the one last brief anecdote I want to say about con- Japanese convenience stores is um, there was there was one night when, like, we had we had gotten back to our hotel kind of early and. Um, you know, Karen was tired, and and I was kind of like I had some energy to burn, or like I wasn't ready to sort of be done for the night or whatever. And I looked on Google Maps, and there was a convenience store eighty meters away, according to Google Maps. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went down. I got a warm. They they would sell, they sell these like warm, like just like breaded chicken. Th- they called them spicy chicken thighs, but Japan has like upper Midwest USA standards of what spicy means. They're like just spicy enough to be flavorful <laughs> um this like warm chicken thigh and i got some like i don't know i forget some like really nice chips or something and sort of like a, a a late night snack slash fourth meal situation and like a um like a pint of whiskey like a little flasky bottle and i went back to our hotel which was this little like uh uh it was this just little kind of kind of like a hostile kind of hotel and I just sat on the porch of the hotel and like ate my chicken thigh drank my whiskey snacked on whatever else and like it was like raining and there was like an alley and then like a cat came through and I tried to make friends with it but it was really intent as all Japanese cats that I encountered were it was really intent on hunting whatever it was hunting but it was just this like idyllic night like if I was a Japanese person I would probably have written a series of haikus about it um and like the convenience store was such a part of that so like and and again like as karen and i have been back in the states like the thing that we wax nostalgic about maybe more than any other single thing from japan is convenience stores like we i we just like you know i mean it's it's again it's that thing where it's like you've experienced the better version and now you're left with kind of the crappy american version and you know i live in the land of quick trip which is like a pretty good american like gas station convenience store and it still Mm -hmm. just pales in comparison to the japanese one
1: don't let quick trip hear you say that
0: that's that's a fair i mean that's fair but it's at the risk of suffering the wrath of quick trip i would say it to their face like go to japan (laughs) learn to do better come back you'd probably be great but um so all of that uh longer winded than i expected to or wanted it to be as it was all of that is to say that like when i was reading this book you know i read the first like two or three pages and I just had to go find Karen and read them to her because all mm. of the sensory details, all of like everything that's in those first few pages with the exception of the dialogue, because again, I don't speak Japanese, <laughs> Um, but uh-huh. everything else was just like, you know, just brought us both I think back there Um mm. in both a way that was like really lovely and kind of a nostalgic way and also really infuriating because why can't just American convenience stores measure up? Um, but it's like this, it, it honestly goes to the, um, and this is part of why I asked you for your take on these pages before I made my own, because it goes to what your first instinct to say was Michael, which is about sort of the, the mundanity of these first few pages. Um, like, Mm-hmm. This is just, this is the Japanese equivalent of if I wrote a book about a quick trip employee and um, described sort of it with sensory details all of sort of the mundane, you know, tasks and, and mm-hmm. noises and things um, that, uh, you know, you'd, you'd hear and, and see and, and experience, like, as a quick trip employee. Like, it's, you know yeah it's it in my experience anyway very accurate um yeah one other real brief note i want to say uh uh is there's one word in the dialogue that doesn't get translated um first example i think is on page Mm -hmm. two towards the bottom uh when a, a customer um Yes uh, is, is approaching the till to check out and um mm-hmm. the employee says Rashimase. uh and yep. as far as I understand, that's just like a very specific word in Japanese that people like like uh, uh clerks or or people in employees of stores say to customers of stores and it's just like a mm-hmm. greeting that only works in that specific. Um, dynamic like a, a customer coming into a store would not greet a, an employee that way There's, if, if they did greet them there'd be other words they'd use um so i just thought it was interesting right. that that word was considered almost sort of untranslatable um yeah yeah uh it be and, and again it was it was another like sensory thing because like i heard that word said so many times in so many different ways that I can probably say that word in Japanese with better and more accurate inflection than like I can say almost any <laughs> of the other fully like nine words of Japanese that I know. Um, because like again, and and you know, it was very like some people would say it various sort of assertively or 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 you know loudly and and forthrightly, and some people it was that like retail employee deadness where it was just like it was almost sing-songy or or they'd mutter it and you'd just hear someone be like asimase um you know and Mm. it was never like impolite in my experience but there was definitely a variation in like how enthusiastic people would would say it but um, (laughs) because and especially again because it's like so you've got her saying ashimashay or or, rashimashay um and then saying good morning sir which, good morning, would probably be Ohio.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's like two greetings stacked on top of each other, but they do have very different <laughs> connotations. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So those are all my thoughts about well, the first th- five pages. Michael,
1: uh, you sound like you had something to say, so go ahead. Well, going off of that that greeting, I mean, that comes up in, like, it, it would be easy to, to kind of write off as just Like, I was curious about it because it was not translated, of course, but um, like it could just be written off as like, well, that's just what they say, which is kind of the point. But then like we learn later that um, in the in the portion where she talks about how she was being trained in and everything that she um, learns to say that word um, from the training videos and such. And like you have a page, um, it's page 18 Um, uh, where this is um, the when they first open, and there's an old lady who comes to the counter for the first time. In there, uh, the second full paragraph, she says, am I say, I called out in precisely the same tone as the woman in the training video as I pulled the basket toward me and began scanning the barcodes, just as we'd been taught." Um, so it keys into this idea that she just pronounce his things exactly the same way as as in the videos um and but then like later on that 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 is heightened by the third last paragraph on the same page because um uh she asked the the woman asked what time do you open and um then she said um today we opened at 10 from now on we'll be open all the time <laughs> and like yeah i i I wonder about the translation in general, but that, like, sounds so awkward the way she responded that, like, is kind of the point in in this dialogue that it's supposed to be awkward there. Um, But then it says, noting how inept I was at answering questions we hadn't practiced in training, the manager quickly followed up and gave a more human-sounding answer. Um, (laughs) What she gave. Um, Which is keying into um keiko's character quite a bit i don't know how much you want to talk about that yet we can get to that uh
0: if it it makes Um, sense to bring it up here i'm happy to do it here i'm i'm out of the first five pages uh, sure
1: yeah um well what do what do you think of of keiko's character well it's interesting you (laughs) ask that
0: because (laughs) um i even before you started bringing up keiko's character uh and I don't know if it was something else you said or just just, you know, trying to get ahead in my mind. I did something that I fully meant to do before we recorded this uh set of episodes, and yet here we are. Um yeah. which is to Google just the phrase convenience store woman autism. <laughs> <laughs> exactly the same word that I was gonna say. <laughs> um and yeah. I, you know, I, I had thought, I knew, I, like, in thinking through what I was going to say in this episode, I knew I was going to bring this up. And I also definitely, yes. you know, want to emphasize, I, relatively speaking, know nothing about autism. Like, I know sort of sure. a lot of the popular concepts and, and some ideas. Like, I could have a mm-hmm. a sort of conversation not in, like, a medium where I'm broadcasting it to the world and probably not sound too idiotic, but, like, I have no authority to be talking about autism and I want to not talk about it in sort of the opposite of the way that sometimes on this show I will say I don't know anything about X and then talk about it for 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) So, like, all I want to say... We would never do that. (laughs) Uh, All I want to say about it is... So I just now Googled convenience store woman, autism. Um, and in the way that Google is, you know, now doing its thing where it'll like pull a quote for you that it thinks maybe will answer your, your question, whatever question you had behind Googling. Um, Google pulled a quote from, uh, what looks to be like a blog, I think. Um, that yeah it's it's a um there's some kind of blog uh the blog is called a is for eva mm, it's an irish name i forget how to say it i should know because of everything about me but oh yeah a A a-o-i-f-e um Mm -hmm. i think it's if that sounds right but the the blog is called a is for eva not autism um and the poll quote so you know i don't know maybe this is taken out of context uh maybe any number of things the poll quote that google came up with is so is kiko autistic well autism is never mentioned <laughs> in the book many autistic women have felt a real connection with kiko and her struggles kiko mm-hmm. is socially awkward and a constant worry to her family and that's probably from like mm-hmm. the middle of a paragraph that's much more artistically in and written and stuff than this makes it sound um and then uh uh just scrolling down this page and so again this is just like surface level google impressions um one of the first entries is just all the times that this came up and Reddit. uh and it's like a whole list of um threads discussing convenience store woman and autism um and it, I'm not going to read from any of them because it's it's Reddit, and I don't know how authoritative mm. anyone is. But just the fact that there's like six or more threads here seems telling all by itself. There's a a 2020 um, article from the Guardian, a uh, fairly mm. you know respected uh, uh, paper. Um, the 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 uh, articles headline is i thought i was too different to see myself in a novel but sayaka murata got me um and then the the Mm -hmm. subhead of that article is uh uh reading convenience store woman helped me to have confidence in myself as an autistic writer so Mm -hmm. you know like again i'm not gonna assert any authority for myself here in in making this connection but like i and it sounds like also you michael we are both like far from the first people to have this idea jump out at us um no and that's all i want to say about that for now because i it i feel like you have thoughts and i want to hear your thoughts please now
1: oh sure um Yes, I well, I was just trying to find um, where it occurred to me that um, she might be autistic. the the first The first time, um, oh, there it is, uh, page seven. Yes. Okay, uh, is is where where it occurred to me, um, and this is where she's talking about her childhood and how they find this dead bird, yes. or she finds this dead bird, um, and asks to eat it, and like it starts out. Well, she starts out with this whole thing that, like, she's a strange child and stuff. And, like, you know, you reserve judgment about about that at at first. Like, okay, that can mean a lot of things for this narrator. What what does strange child mean? And then, like, let's eat it. Okay, well, that still means... That could mean still a lot of things. Like, is she psychotic? (laughs) Or, like, what? Um, But then uh, when she gets into um, a little bit of her internal reasoning about this whole situation that's at the bottom of page seven where she has this sentence and and this is what really keyed it off for me the sentence she says i couldn't understand why we should bury the bird instead of eating it um and that's where she just doesn't recognize this social cue uh and then into page eight where she she kind of analyzes things from a number of different angles and says everyone was crying for the poor dead bird as they went around murdering flowers (laughs) and uh at the end of that paragraph she says they looked so bizarre i thought they must all be out of their minds so like this idea that she's totally missing social cues she's totally uh not a part of this conversation that's going on she doesn't understand uh how other people think and how other people reason um, uh, and then like that builds on other things too, where she takes such comfort in the routine. That's a very, um, uh, classic autistic trait. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, oh, what else? Um, uh, I mean, th- those, those are kind of the, the, the big ones, the, the lack of understanding of social cues and, um, the, um, comfort in the routine, but then, um, as it goes on and she, she's trying to fit in, but feeling alienated. That's also, uh, something that's, that's classic in, in autism where it's, uh, I feel like I'm not part of, of this. I don't feel like I'm, um, connected to people unless I'm in this routine. Again, that's where this, this comfort comes in. Um, but how, how much she just takes at face value, what people tell her, um, that, uh she has difficulty reading between the lines uh and and understanding possibly the emotion behind the words and instead just takes things absolutely literally um even just uh, the way she she goes off at um Shiraha's word and quits her job mm-hmm. the it comes totally out of nowhere that she would quit her job at the convenience store. The only motivating factor is that Shiraha tells mm. her to. Um, like there, there are the aspects that other people have said it's a dead end job and stuff, but none of that really bothers her as much. It bothers her to an extent that like she feels like she needs to fit in, but um, then all of a sudden Shiraha comes and says you've got to quit, and mm-hmm. she does. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it doesn't. It, there's, there's no conflict in in her and quitting. It's just. Yep, I've got to do this because he said so. Right. Um, like that—that is—is um, that—that's a, a classic um, sort of uh, sign of, of autism as well. I, right. you know, I don't like um, the the idea of, of um, thinking of characters as coded as as autistic or anything like that. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily. Um, Murata's intention behind Keiko either. Um, yeah, but like it struck me as as quite clear <laughs> how how yeah. how she she behaves that it seems that way. You said, and like hearing some of these others too. Um it seems like it's you're very clearly, surface level.
0: Yeah, you're clearly not the only one. That's what I was gonna say is like when you say mm-hmm. coded, usually that means you have to like read into it or read beneath the surface at all and i feel like um right that's one thing you don't have to do to get there uh the only thing you didn't mention yeah. that jumped out at me and sort of i know from just like having talked to to people i've known in my life who are autistic specifically is her um uh tendency to fit in by imitating
1: other people who fit in Oh, um, yes, that was that was something I was going to say the, the the like mirroring, um, yes, mirroring that's a, yeah. That's an autistic trait, like being able to it, it's so it's it's a it's a it's a really fascinating, um, almost like a superpower for for autism um, that like uh, on the one hand, it's almost impossible for them to feel like they fit in for people with autism to feel like they fit in yeah. um, in in situations. But the superpower is they can go into a room, read the room and imitate the room (laughs) yeah it's like Um, it's like
0: it's like where sort of i guess the term would be neurotypical people sort of have this inborn mm -hmm. sense of of how to fit in or how to how to read a room like Mm -hmm. autistic people tend to who who sort of have the superpower develop the superpower will Almost, almost reverse engineer it, where they'll see the output and see the yep. results of the output, and then, um, sort mm-hmm. of do the same do the same output in order to achieve the same results. And it's like, yeah, mirroring is is um, you know, there's a reason mm-hmm. that's the word for it because like,
1: I, I can't think of a better one myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure, you know, yeah. Well, and you think of of the things that Keiko is praised for, and it's like being able to. Exactly portray what the training taught her, mm-hmm. like following the the, the guidebook mm-hmm. to the letter, and like the training videos, and and that's like it's key. I think that there's mention of those training videos and the way she can sit, use the exact same intonation of the training videos, mm-hmm. um, like that's that mirroring that's that imitation that she has that that power to to do that and and get that across exactly and then she has that in her internal dialogue too where she's convinced that that's um human beings are made up of conglomerations of all the people that they have met and the people they're around and the more they're around someone the more of that person's personality they take on to make their own Mm -hmm. um which is fascinating itself that Keiko almost seems like she doesn't feel like she has her own personality, she feels like she is this mixture of other people. Right. And then um. the question becomes
0: like to what extent is that a personality and um mm-hmm. you know because like to to posit like a um potentially at least like a falsifiable like counterpoint is like you could see someone who who their personality was in or built out of sort of reading those around them and then trying to contradict them or trying to be um uh i don't know any number of of uh you know to alienate them or um anything like that where kiko's Mm -hmm. personality is to try to imitate them and, and therefore to try to fit in um and eventually, you know, if you drill too far down on that, you get into like a nature nurture thing that kind of goes around in circles potentially forever. Oh yeah. Um,
1: well, I think ultimately, like the the question that the the book poses and that is at, like at the core of Keiko's dilemma uh, is ultimately circular. I think I think the more we delve into it, the more it will become circular we might this might be a topic for for later on too but like the question of like what is a human being Mm -hmm. um and what makes a person human and like what what is the the role of humans in the world what is the world of humans (laughs) um and like what is normal and what role does normal have um she she struggles with this aspect of um exceptions that uh, on page 80 at the bottom, she says the normal world has no room for exceptions and always quietly eliminates foreign objects. Anyone who is lacking is disposed of. Yeah. Uh, and then that like she she starts to like have this this conflict that like, oh, that's why my family wants to, to fix me. That's why I need to be fixed, which is something that she's felt all along. Like I need fixing. I don't understand why. But apparently I need fixing and everybody tells me I need fixing. And so now she's like, oh, it's because the world is normal. And if you're not normal, you need to be fixed uh, because the world will destroy you otherwise or or eliminate you. But like even within that, like the way she's trying to figure out what normal is, is is a question like is normal being a conglomeration of others is normal imitating others is normal. Uh, being an exception and like what is an exception to normal uh, right yeah. it's so complicated <laughs> um yeah
0: and there's a lot of different directions we could go with this but choosing the one that i think we can kind of um maybe this will be a cliffhanger for next time uh but at least start to address sure. in the next you know uh, as we as we wind down this episode um i think so there's a book that i read i think i referenced it maybe long ago on this podcast um was a book called shakespeare's imagery and it was written in the 1930s i think it's Mm. still like if you specifically majored in shakespeare in undergrad or grad school you'd probably still read it um and it's a really great book if you're a like big nerd um uh but the one thing i want to mentioned from it in connection with convenience store woman um and yeah michael and ethan drinking game uh you know check off your reference to shakespeare Mm -hmm. box but um uh is, is the idea that the the author of that book um basically asserts that shakespeare in each of his plays had like an overarching image um that he drew most or all of his metaphors from for the play um the mm. only one i can think of is the most disturbing one which is king lear which is again she asserts the author of of shakespeare's imagery asserts that uh it's like the image of a human body being tortured um mm. and i don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that there are is is or are one or more sort of central images along similar lines at least somewhat similar lines in convenience store woman and i can think of two um one i think you already well actually they're both from (laughs) things you've already uh mentioned michael um uh that i'm just gonna sort of piggyback on uh one when you mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. the idea of being a cog in a machine so um yeah. again this was your quote from page i thought it was from page four but now i can't find it yeah uh most of the way to the bottom i am one of those cogs going round and round i've become a functioning part of the world rotating in the time of day called morning um which you know that i i think part of the reason i was cued to this is is that probably goes with The autism discussion that um we're Mm. not going to be able to exhaust certainly but uh that autistic folks tend to want to find a place in the world like that becomes the big question and then when they do find a place like especially you know often that's like a big sort of triumph or accomplishment it seems like um but This image of of being a cog in a machine, it reminds me of Charlie Chaplin's movie from almost 100 years ago now, Modern Times, uh, Mm. where the uh, Charlie Chaplin character gets pulled into being a machine. And, like, the great image of, of Modern Times, of modernity, is, like, a person being literally part of a machine. Um... And again, this mm. this image goes, like, extends throughout the book. Like, I, I point at page four, but there's there's probably do- literally oh, yeah. dozens of, of places I could point to. And then the second one and that you quoted more recently, bottom of page 80, the normal world has no room for exceptions and always quietly eliminates foreign objects. Um, <laughs> to me, that's picturing the world as a body, as like a human body. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that the human body, like a machine has sort of a normal functioning and a and a functional way of being and part of that functioning is to get rid of exceptions or if not to get mm-hmm. rid of them, then to sort of subsume them into into the normalcy and I think those are two, two images, the, the functioning of the human body to picture the outside world and the cog in the machine to picture the human body that I think obtained Mm. throughout this book. Um, Yeah. In our last, I guess, few minutes before, uh, before we wrap up, did you have
1: anything to say about that? Michael? Really briefly. um, So the, the cog in the machine image is one that, you know, referencing the modern times idea Uh, I think in American culture and my own like gut reaction to that is relatively negative. Like the cog in the machine image is uh, not a not a an ideal image. Right. Like that's that's like you've lost something you're you've lost humanity by being a cog in the machine. However, how Keiko puts it. seems to have a positive spin at least she thinks it and i you know it this being a book in translation too i don't know if there's anything lost in translation there or if the image the way it would be put in japanese would be more amenable to or or more positive to a japanese person but um it's certainly interesting that keiko and i think it is kind of key to who she is she sees the cog in the machine image as positive uh and the the function aspect of that too touches on a um a a theory of uh of socialism called functionalism Mm -hmm. um which like the way to abbreviate that is like the world needs ditch diggers too right Right. (laughs) like um that's uh, that's that's kind of the idea and so like for keiko's purpose is the world needs convenience store workers too so why can't keiko just be a convenience store woman and that be who she is yeah um
0: i think that's a a (laughs) tension or an ambiguity even at the heart of the novel yeah um because i think that part Mm -hmm. of part of the like i'm not so worried because this is a very recent novel in an even more recent translation i'm not so worried about things getting lost in translation as i am with like tolstoy for example right um it's obviously still possible uh and there are certain things that are just hard to translate across cultures and and languages but um uh i i do think culturally like in japanese culture people are much 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 more strongly encouraged and incentivized to become sort of the equivalent of a cog in a machine like japanese culture is a much more um okay uh, conformist culture traditionally and traditionally stretching mm. very far back um uh yeah. hundreds if not thousands of years back um versus american culture which you're exactly right like in american culture like at least since the 90s like every movie or, <laughs> or tv show or book about like being a corporate office worker is about the the dehumanizing effects of being a cog in a machine Mm-hmm. But I think that there's also an ambiguity there within the text itself about like, um, there, there's, there's, you find your place, right? And I think that, again, to this is a second thing commenting on Japanese culture after commenting on autism, like a second thing I'm deeply unqualified to comment about. But, um... <laughs>
1: this is just a podcast of
0: us talking about things we're not qualified to talk about. I mean, that should be our t-shirt. Um... <laughs> but like i think that there is an ambiguity or a, a tension tension and or an ambiguity about you you need to be a cog in a machine but you need to be the right cog in a machine like there's there's sure um it's not enough it, well, it's confusing i think to keiko that it's not enough to just find your right place your place that makes you happy you also have to it's this like cultural like if you want to talk about marxism you know yeah you're talking about cultural criticism as well and it's this cultural criticism of like uh uh there's there's even a hypocrisy there of like um you know to be like properly middle class mm-hmm. or properly aspirational you not mm-hmm. only should be a cog in a machine you should be a cog in the machine of like white collar culture like that's what comes up you know that's that's explicitly stated when it said you know, Keiko should either be a mother, um, tending to her children or be a more ambitious career woman is like, that's, that's Mm -hmm. a a cultural, like middle-class bourgeoisie aspirational thing. Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that doesn't make any sense to Keiko. And the strong case I think is being made by the book that it doesn't make sense to her because it doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. part of the ambiguity well, yeah, like body, she does have body, the
1: pressure body. to conform. Yes, right, like yeah, that like over and over when she meets with her sister and her friends and like all these these people are pressuring her to conform, or she at least feels that pressure to conform, especially through how they're talking about what she lacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, like, yeah, it is like I like how you say that she, it's confusing to her because she feels like she is conforming, but she can't conform more than she is. Right. <laughs> like, I'm already conformed. How do I conform more than I am? Right. But they're, they're, or they're conflicting and specific, specifically conflict, conflicting views of what conformity means. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I think that's, uh, unless Michael, unless you had any, you know, last Bon mots you were really burning to, drop on us i think that's as much of a bow as we'll be able to put on that one this episode love it very good uh thank gentle listener thank you for listening uh please join us next time um and in the meantime feel free to listen to our other uh tapestry radio uh network podcasts including intermission our backstage audio drama podcast pokemon rollout our pokemon tabletop united actual play rpg podcast um there's also freddie goes to a podcast another literary podcast where three grown men read the freddie the pig children's novel series from 100 years ago uh there's fiasco another actual play podcast about the fiasco sort of us play fiasco, us play fiasco. thank you um it's about the fiasco, sort of improv-heavy RPG. Uh, Michael, what am I forgetting? Mm-hmm. Uh, Shakespeare in the Village. Thank you. I, uh, podcast. I Shakespeare in the Village. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: um, yeah, yeah, you got. Yeah, I think you got got the bulk of them there. Very good. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: uh, there's some other stuff, but like, I'll promote it next time. Um, Michael yeah, sure. is there anything you wish to promote Particularly or anywhere you want People to be able to find you
1: uh, Quick Trip we're sponsored by Quick Trip no we're not but <laughs> we should be
0: I mean we shouldn't be after this episode
1: <laughs> um, We're making Quick Trip better There we go <laughs> we're,
0: we're, we're encouraging Quick Trip to be better um, Another t-shirt isn't that what i said Uh, yeah it is um (laughs) so you can get in touch with us at top tapestry radio network slash scotch cast there is a contact section there um wait did i say that right
1: yes okay tapestry radio wait tapestry radio.org contact section
0: okay that's what it is um yes put scotch cast in the subject line i don't know tapsterradio.org. Mm-hmm. You'll figure it out. Uh, yeah. This outro was a disaster. Thank you for joining us. Uh, join <laughs> us next time. And just remember, until Ethan then... Ethan
1: didn't pay attention to the training video. <laughs> Ethan paid attention
0: to the training video, but it was like six years and <laughs> all ago, and also he wasn't paying attention to it then. <laughs> uh, just remember, until next time, it's our party, and... We'll cry if the training video tells us to.
2: (laughs) Thank you. We love you. Bye. Bye.
0: Obscurantism and Obfuscation.